Good morning, everyone. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Will you bow your heads as I pray? Lord Jesus, this is your church. This house is not just made up of bricks and mortar. It's made up of living people, people you call your children. And it has Jesus as the cornerstone the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, forgive me for when I try and teach up here with competencies. Just take them away from me. Help me to get out of the way. And may your word, uh, as we're going to see in Hebrews, Lord, may that take precedence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Title for the message is Running the Race of Our Lives. If you've got one of those cards on the way in, uh, it's for a reason, it's for to take notes. There's going to be three points to today's message. I want you to know, when we started worship here at 10 a.m., we joined in with what's already happening in heaven. Heaven was not warming up like we were. They were not doing sound checks. The cherubim, the seraphim, was crying out, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They've never skipped a beat, praising God in his glory. And we have joined in them today. You'll find out from the scriptures, it's going to be Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. We, in our lives now, are running the race of our lives. We're running the races of our lives. Our church is running the race of our lives. And there is a great cloud of witnesses, even now, cheering us on. So not only is Jesus at the right hand of the Heavenly Father speaking words of love on each one of our behalves, there's a crowd of witnesses. Fathers of the faith, the hall of faith, the hall of fame of faith, cheering us on. So feel confident in who God is and what he is putting in front of us. So Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, and it's had this huge, uh, by faith it's said 23 times in chapter 11. These people who have finished the good race, and each one of them has their own funky stuff, their own shortcomings. But it says, it says, therefore, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, this call of faith have gone before us. They're in heaven now cheering us on. In the fullness of time, you will meet them, and you'll be bearing witness to the greatness of God in his glory as well. But they have finished their race, and we need to finish ours. Three things They're going to help us run the race of our lives. These are the the three points I'm going to hinge my message on. 
embracing our race, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and knowing our identity. Now, when you teach expository, like the main point is fixing our eyes on Jesus. But in the time of prayer and fasting this week, I was also like, what kind of message do you want me to give? And frustratingly, he gave it to me at 9 a.m. yesterday. Um, He's been giving me enough for each day. But I, I strongly sense these are three really important points for uh, the race of our lives. So first one, I'll read it again. Embracing our race. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Friends, you were born into a race, a race that is already happening. In fact, it's a cosmic plan. Jesus created everything. And in the fullness of time, everything is going to be back with him under his rule. And it's an unstoppable cosmic plan. Not even Satan through Judas putting Jesus on the cross could stop it. God is a God of redemption and power and love. And you were born into this race. And it's already moving. So as we embrace our race, we know uh, that we are on a journey We're on a pilgrimage in this life. It's a journey and a pilgrimage to see more of God. At times, we'll look at the terrain. We'll see what we're kind of stepping over. We can look from side to side to see who we're walking with. But the reality is, this is a pilgrimage where we'll see more and more of the glory of God. And each day, we're closer to seeing the glory of God. And we will walk into heaven with him. Now, when you embrace a race, one of the things you need to do is kind of start running. Uh, I occasionally run, and I trail run. When I say trail run, people think, oh, he's serious. No, uh, I trail run because I get so embarrassed by what I look like when I'm running. They literally have a face like a bulldog chewing a wasp with redness. I'm tired of people asking me if I'm okay. So I'll run in the woods. When you plan to run in the woods, it it just rarely happens. It takes so much more effort and bother to even begin to find a trail run to go on. But I saw yesterday, there was a load of people running around St. Charles. I was in the car with my kids. Uh, We stopped at a traffic light, and then we started laughing at a runner just at some traffic lights in front of us. They're kind of jogging on the spot lunging, doing all this, dressed up in some kind of 80s disco gear. And as I was laughing, I was like, ah, I was reminded, well, at least they're running, Andy. And I realized that when you're running and you're serious about being a legitimate runner, you do not worry like what you look like, what people think about you. And as we run the race of our lives, wanting more and more of Jesus, we're going to need to not worry what other people say or, or what we look like. An, an old man was walking into a town. He had a donkey with him and his grandson. He had some business to do in town. And as he's walking along the path, he put his uh, grandson on the donkey and was leading the donkey himself. And as he's leading the donkey, they came past the first village. 
So walking through the village, the, the old man heard, tut, tut, tut. That's terrible, isn't it? Look, look at that. Look at that young boy making that old man walk. That's absolutely terrible. So pass through that village. Keep on the footpath, mindful of what they said. The old man swaps places with the young boy, his grandson. Start coming up to the next village. Soon they start hearing things. Oh, tut, tut. Oh, dear, that's absolutely terrible. Look at that old man making that young boy walk. Again, the old man kind of adjusts, concerned what people are saying. They may be getting a false impression. And so uh, him and the, uh, his grandson get on the donkey. And they come up to a third village just before they're going to go into town to go about their business. And as they're in that third village, they just hear all these voices of people watching. Oh, dear me, that's absolutely terrible. Look at that old man and that young boy making the donkey carry them both. Oh, it's awful. And so the old man and his grandson entered the city carrying the donkey. Friends, when we are running the race of our lives, we do not need to worry what we look like. We do not need to worry about other people's opinions. It is, however, going to get difficult. You'll see further on in uh, Hebrews 12, verses 4 through to 13. It talks about God really loves you. He's training you. He's making you more like Christ. And at times, this is difficult. And so if you want to run a race and at least finish it, it's really helpful to have undergone some training. Now, I'm a man of leisure, always have been, always will be. A leisure as in sitting down and reading. Uh, for me to need to run, I need to know there's a race coming up. And it's the same with us. God will start putting us through training, uh, even if we don't want it. It may be a situational hardship. It may be a financial hardship. It may be a relational hardship. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, it's going to get tough on the race of your life because God loves you. And as he's making you more into Jesus, as this skillful heart surgeon is doing some surgery on your heart, when that scalpel comes towards your heart, you're thinking, hang on a minute, this hurts. But we know that God is working for the good of us. As I saw some ugly side of myself this weekend in spending time with God. On the one hand, it's like, ugh. And on the other hand, it's deeply relieving to have that taken away. Deeply relieving that God is not surprised by it. He's already covered for it. Our tendency when we go into strict training. So it's not just the writer of Hebrews that said there'll be hardships. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, I'll read this to you, verses 24 and 27. He's also talking about the race of life and how there is hardships. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. That's somewhere in the Bible. Here we go. And it's, it's headed in the NIV under the need for self-discipline. Verse 24 says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. 
everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There are times when we're going through hardships. We'll say, God, this, deliver me from this. And he'll say, no, this, this is from me. And I'm much more interested in developing you to run the race of your life than your comfort. He knows that for eternity, we'll be in his glory, in this Sabbath rest forever. And this, this life is a blink of an eye, a teardrop in an ocean of eternity. And he wants us become more like Jesus in that. And the more hardships we have, it means we're being counted worthy of suffering for the gospel. Jesus was not a, uh, a, a wealth and, uh, health and wealth preacher. He was not successful by worldly standards. He invested in 12 people and that was it. So we are going to have challenging times. People are going to be wondering why we're going through suffering, but we mustn't worry about what we look like. We need to embrace our race. God wants us to finish our race. And the way he does this, I'm going to read uh, verse 2 of Hebrews. Uh, it says, and let us run with perseverance, a race marked out for us. Here's the big uh, main point. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So we're running the race of our lives. Not only do we embrace the race, we fix our eyes on Jesus. I get so many words mixed up with American words. Uh, in English, uh, English, English, a horse has something called blinkers. It's the things that go over their eyes. They can keep a focus and not be worried by the things around them. I'm not sure what that word is in America, but imagine that. They can see just where they are going. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Yes, at times you'll look at the terrain. Yes, at times you'll look at other people ahead or people further behind. So don't worry about that. If you want to uh, complete the race, fix your eyes on Jesus. Saying, don't get distracted. Jesus is the author of our faith. That means Jesus is the king of the universe. The alpha. He started everything. All the world has been created by him, for him, and through him. And then he's also the perfecter of our faith. We sang about that in one of the songs. And Jesus is on the cross. He says, it is finished. That means the full penalty for sins forever has been paid by Jesus. When he's buried and on the third day rose again, he showed that he has power over death. And so Jesus, we fix our eyes on him because he has finished the race. He's the pioneer, the author of it, and he is the perfecter of it. We keep looking at him. We're much 
less likely to stumble. We're much less likely to worry uh, about what we look like as we're pursuing him. Our true identity is in Christ. So Christ has uniquely made each one of us. He looks at you and he'll say, I'm never doing that again. He's uniquely made each one of us. And it's not we're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. And those good works bring us into our true identity in Christ. God loves diversity. Have you seen below the oceans and the sea how much life there is and how much diversity there is? See how many cultures there are. See how many different cities there are. He loves diversity. We're not meant to be copies of other people. Even as a church, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're not meant to be copies. We're meant to fulfill our true identity in Christ. So friends, as you fix your eyes on Jesus, God will give you a vision of who he has made you to be. God will give you a vision of what he wants our marriages to look like, a vision for our families, a vision for our jobs, a vision for the church, a vision for Chicago, a vision of heaven, a vision of the heart of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Church, as we run the race of our lives and we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have a great future accomplish. Forgive me for stating the obvious. It's apparently one of my gifts. Uh, Seeing is really, really important when we fix our eyes on Jesus. Seeing is really, really important when we fix our eyes on Jesus. I've said that twice just in case that was news to you. Uh, I'm going to go to Mark 8, 22, 25. And it's where Jesus heals a blind man. And I think this is helpful for us as we try and fix our eyes on Jesus. There's a difference between just seeing with our eyes, but then really perceiving who Jesus is and who he calls us to be. Uh, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When it spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus says, do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people. They they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. There's many different layers to revelation with God. One thing I want you to understand today, this meant spiritual blindness as well. But Jesus can give us sight. The Apostle Paul will attest to that. The thing I want to draw to your attention today is this innocuous little verse. Uh, it's verse 23. It says, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Why on earth would Jesus take him outside the village? Well, he wanted to take the man out of his routine. As someone who has hearing loss pretty significantly, you learn to cope with your environment around you. You get used to it. If I'm then in front of a different group of people, I'm not used to their voice, it's much, much harder for me to actually understand what's going on. 
And I've heard it's the same with people with, with sight loss. They get really good at, at knowing their way around their houses. They get really good at knowing their way uh, around the village. And so Jesus takes this blind man out of his place of comfort, out of his routine. And then he stood in front of him, spit and wiped it on his eyes. He said, what do you see? And his sight hadn't fully been restored. He saw people, but they, they kind of looked like trees. So Jesus does it again. What do you see? When you really see, you see who Jesus is. The first thing he really saw was Jesus, the king of the universe. And friends, as a church, we can ourselves just go through the motions. We can go every Sunday. We can be generous. We can tithe. We can serve. We're not often seeing what God wants us to see. We're just going through the motions. And what I found out over the last uh, four days, as in Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, when you're completely taken out of your routine, you are forced to really see God for who he is. And when you see God for who he is and you really see who you are, it, it changes stuff. Like the spiritual blindness that we are so prone to put upon ourselves disappears. The, the way we need to provoke ourselves to see, just to be before God, strange as that sounds, we can't summon up this will, we can't summon up this effort, we just need to surrender and be before God. Satan, is there any way that I've been spiritually blind? Is there any way I'm stuck in my routine? Is there any way I'm not actually fixing my eyes on you, but instead looking at other things? And God loves you too much to not tell you where our eyes are wandering. Like if we don't do the things of God, it's like kind of putting your hand in the fire. And you can put your hand in the fire, but God sometimes would rather we didn't. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we do not stumble. We do not fall. We don't care what other people think. We embrace the race that is ahead of us because we see this prize. We see heaven. We see the crown of life, and we run towards it, cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses who have already finished their race. So as we run the race of our lives, we embrace our race. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Finally, we know our identity. I've been pastor of this church 10 months. It's been an absolute privilege, and it will continue to be an absolute privilege. But over those last 10 months, a lot of people have said, this is what an Antioch church looks like. This is what it used to be. This, what, that was kind of right. This kind of wasn't right. Lots of different people have a view of what they think being part of an Antioch church means. That's actually not God's first concern. His first concern. And I've been trying to figure out, God, what do you want our church to look like? No, not really, Andy. I just am concerned with who you are. And if we have a concern and we have a love for our church, we'll stand in front of God and say, who do you want me to be? Because this church isn't made up of just bricks and mortar. It's made up of living stones. It's made up of people. And as we each fix our eyes on Jesus and become our full and true selves in Christ, 
this church will look like God wants it to. So knowing our identity is incredibly helpful. We will be moving into a season of much more prayer. Probably less doing, less uh, ideas about perfectionism, less ideas about control. But instead, I would love us just to be praying more. When we're in God's presence through prayer, he transforms us. He speaks to us. He takes shrapnel out of us. We start becoming our true selves in him. It's a scary process, but it's actually beautiful. So as a church, I will say this. We will be moving into a season of prayer. I don't want to give my vision for the church. I want God to speak to each one of us, for him to tell you who he wants you to be. And as he's doing that, we do not compare ourselves to other people. And say, hey, you're not who God wants you to be. Does that make sense? This church will look like you fulfilling your identity for who God wants you to be. And as we humble ourselves before God, as we surrender as opposed to taking pride in our humility, we will develop a hunger for God. We'll develop an excitement for seeing God's glory. We'll develop it's kind of a strange thing. We'll develop a willingness to be transformed. And we'll want to pursue his presence. No, I have to force myself to do my devotions. Well, I actually really want it. Like the more time you spend with God, the more you want to spend time with him. In heaven, we are not going to be saying, that's enough. Legitimately. We're going to be wanting more and more of him the most beautiful being in all of creation. I was chatting to a friend this week, a pastor of another church. He's explaining to me the importance of tribes. So Antioch is a tribe. Uh, tribes are throughout the Bible. It's not like being Captain Caveman or anything like that. It's a highly biblical word. Jacob, when he laid his hands on his 12 sons, that started the 12 tribes of Israel. Tribes are at the very heart of God. Think of St. John on the Isle of Patmos, and as he looks up, and heaven has been torn open above him, and he gets a view. He sees people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping God. God does not do away with tribes in heaven. He loves diversity. And hearts... Uh, Tribes being the, the very heart of our identity, as we know our identity, it means that we need to find the tribe that we belong to. And I don't know if you've heard of the phrase spirit to spirit, but sometimes you'll meet someone and you just connect spirit to spirit. It's like God has made you with a tuning fork in your soul. And as it makes that noise, you're just drawn to someone else with that. That typically who God wants you to spend more time with, typically who God wants you to be discipling one another. But there's only one you, and you belong to a tribe. There's only one me, and I belong to a tribe. And Antioch is a tribe. It's a movement, a denomination, a stream, whatever word you want to put on it. And Antioch has a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the world. We see it on our webpage, the three core values are encountering God, 
We want you to encounter God every single day, whether it's at church on a Sunday or in our devotional time or in conversations with other people or serving. Also, a key distinctive is disciple-making. Jesus gave us a command. It's love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, go and make disciples of all nations. Part of being Antioch is a strong desire to make disciples. Not make copies, but make disciples. Call out the image of God in people. Call it out and let them know you are God's beloved son. He's died for you. At the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is there, he's crying out, Father, take this cup away from me. The Father listens and doesn't. That's how much he loves people. Think of that. My son falls over, whoom, I am there super quick. Jesus, who God has been with in the very beginning of time, the very alpha of existence, crying out to his Father, And the love of us is so deep, it's incomprehensible that we, as we make disciples, we are sharing that deep, abiding love of God and their true identity in him with others. And we call it out of one another. And the third element is we just live life on mission. We've been called to reach the nations. Wherever you live is not an accident. There's people around where you sleep that God wants you to reach out to. There's people around where you live that God wants you to serve. There's people around where you live that God wants you to invite those people over. There's people around where you live that in the fullness of time, as they are more interested in what you have, and they start asking you about your faith, you could say, well, why don't you come to my church? We're living life on mission. You can do that in Uganda. You can do that in Wheaton. You can do that in your very house where you live. And so Antioch, we're part of a tribe, a, a stream of living water. And this tribe, this church, this group of people, we, we make a sound. That tuning fork makes a sound. And it is this. This is a family. This is a place of healing. This is a place of life. This is a place of wholeness. This is a place of generosity. This is a place of freedom, not of control. This is a place where people of every tribe and nation can come, every tongue and every generation. The sound that we make, our voice, is we're going to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. We are going to be bothered by people who do not know Jesus. And rather than tut and say, oh, dear me, we're just going to make a difference ourselves. We're going to become who God wants us to be. We're going to listen and obey and live life on mission. We have planted churches. We will continue to plant churches. What do they look like? I have no idea. But it will look like each one of us spending time in front of God, letting go of trying to make the church in our own image, and instead becoming who God wants us to be. Most importantly, the sound our tribe makes, Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head 
of this tribe. And our greatest days, church, are ahead of us. Your greatest days are ahead of you. You are closer to walking into glory today than yesterday. I don't know what your situation is, but God is not going to waste it. It's never a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And he wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to make us free from, uh, wants to free this church from my expectations. He wants to free you from other people's expectations. He's your loving father. And he will make you exactly who he has made you to be. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Or I'm going to ask Dan and Jenny to come up. So as a church, as a tribe, it's important that we keep our DNA. In the last 10 months, I've heard a lot of what it means to be an echo from the past. But friends, we as a church are a voice for the future. Not an echo of the past, a voice for the future as we share the love and good news of Jesus with the next generation. With people groups who have never heard of him do not yet know their true identity and fulfillment. And as we're running the race of our lives, as we embrace our race, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we know our identity. Our identity is this. And I will say I, but I also mean it for you and we. Actually, I'm going to say we. We are anointed and appointed. We are Christ's ambassadors. If today he was making his appeal to the world... He does so through us. We are the head and not the tail. We are sons, not slaves. We are saints, not sinners. And why? Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the king of the universe. He finishes what he starts. Always finishes what he starts. He has already won the race. We just have to run it. Not be worried what other people think. Not be worried what we look like. Fix our eyes on Jesus as we're running the race of our lives. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray for confidence. Confidence means with faith. And I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what's giving you fear. But Jesus, the king of the universe, he's the guy that controls nature. He's the guy that stops the waves. He's the guy that has power over death. He's the guy that has the power over the demonic and strongholds. He is the king of the universe. And faith looks like accepting that and knowing who we are in him. So if any of you at the moment would like more confidence, I'm going to pray for you any of you would like more faith God understands it's really hard to see sometimes when we're living as in a fallen world I'm going to pray for God to, to wipe away the spiritual blindness that we may have see Jesus and in seeing Jesus see who we really are ourselves I'll pray now Lord Jesus thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith thank you that this is your church this is your bride this is your bride. Forgive me, Lord, where I try to put my own expectations upon it, Lord. Uh, give us confidence in you. God, 
this church doesn't need me to say these different things to them. This church needs you. It needs to be in front of you. Let us give, give us a vision of how you are king over everything, that you're living inside us. No matter what other people may say about us, you say, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Increase our faith, increase our confidence, increase our love, and give us hope. Give us hope for a future. And hope is temporary, but we need it now, Lord. Give us hope for a future that the very best is yet to come. In your son's name I pray. Amen.